Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. Today I have Daniel Villiani from Villiani Analytics and I'm excited for this discussion because we're going to be talking about ways you can avoid failing when starting a B2B business. So Daniel, welcome to the show. I'm glad that you're on and I'm excited to hear your insights. Thanks, Steve. Uh, I'm glad to uh, to be on the show. Well, let's go ahead and jump right in. I, I have so much to talk with you about. So let me let's let's first start with how you got started in business. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I noticed that you were you worked for uh, Peloton, not the bike company, <laughs> and EY. So I worked at EY as well. So awesome. how did you get started in business when you were younger? Is that something you wanted to do? You you were always interested in business and in the world of analytics and numbers, or how did you um, get to where you're at today? It's funny that that you mentioned that because you know I, I uh, growing up uh, I always wanted to be a lawyer. Uh, you know my my grandma always used to tell me I'd make a good lawyer because I always just tried to find loopholes in everything and get out of everything. But uh, as I you know got into college, I, I actually went in as a as a finance major, and you know my goal was to get a job in finance. But you know about a year after I started was the 08 financial crisis. And I realized, you know, uh, I couldn't get internships, I couldn't get any opportunities in the field. And I said, Oh, you know, it's going to be very hard to get a job coming out. So I had some job experience working in IT at the help desk at, you know, at my school, I was able to get some internship experience, uh, you know, also in IT. So I said, you know what, let me uh, add in as a second major, uh, computer information system. So, you know, I double majored, and, you know, I realized that I liked both technology and business uh, equally. And I said, you know, it would be great if I could find a job in that field, um, you know, kind of at the seams of, uh, of business and technology. So at my internship, I tried to get a job in their finance department. They were going through a, a restructuring and they introduced me uh, to Peloton, who was uh, their consulting partner at the time, uh, implementing financial systems for them. So I interviewed there and, you know, that that's how I got the job at Peloton. Um, my role there was uh, implementing uh, finance and accounting systems for, uh, you know, Fortune 1000 businesses. And I realized that, you know, I'm, I'm solving, you know, smaller types of uh, problems over here. And, you know, I went to EY a few years later because I wanted to work on, you know, problems that were global in nature, you know, maybe be a little bit less technology focused and round out my skill set by being on the business side. So I joined their data and analytics practice over there. You know, once I was at EY, you know, I I learned that, you know, there were a lot of things that I was interested in that, you know, really didn't align with kind of how the, the company operates, where I always looked for ways to innovate and, you know, save time, uh, on projects. And, uh, you know, I actually almost got fired for, uh, you know, coming up with a way of, um, you know, cutting the amount of time it would take to do a project in half, um, you know, or more. And, you know, I quickly realized that, you know, hey, if, if, if I want to be able to innovate and be able to do these projects, uh, you know, quicker, faster, and, you know, act in the best interest of the client, I was going to have to start my own business, you know, because a consulting company that charges by the hour isn't going to look favorably when it takes you less time uh, to do a project than, you know, than what, what they want. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's so interesting. I mean, because so many companies out there, you know, do charge by the hour, they do consulting mm-hmm. services like that. 
and it just breeds inefficiency. I think it's like the worst model in the world to charge by the hour like that. Even with lawyers, you know, they charge by the hour, but they're, they could be so much more efficient, but they just want to, you know, bill on an hourly basis. That model is just so broken. Let me ask you this. So you spent your career, early part of your career, implementing these financial systems for companies Mm -hmm. and you were involved with the data side of their business. How have you seen that evolve? Because I imagine a, a lot of the systems have radically transformed. Have you seen this major transformation with financial systems, or do you feel like they're lagging behind the times when it comes to tech? Well, I've seen a lot of a lot of change, uh, you know, in the last, uh, you know, even say ten years with uh, with the emergence of cloud technology. Where you know, when when I started, everything used to be you know on prem, meaning these clients needed to have their own servers, you know, set it up. Um, optimize everything and you know and and uh and it used to pay to go and say you know what i'm buying oracle technology for example i'll just buy the whole suite of oracle products well now with the emergence of the cloud where you don't have to worry about managing infrastructure behind it you know we've seen a lot of organizations go to you know best of breed uh on a technology by technology basis so they might use salesforce as their crm uh, but Oracle for their reporting and, you know, they might use Workday for their HR systems. And, you know, and, and now, you know, while that helps, you know, get the organization the best of all worlds uh, that they're in, it also in- introduces a lot more complexity. And, you know, how do you integrate all of these systems and be able to bring, you know, the data that you need into the into the place that that you need it? Yeah, that, that makes sense. Absolutely. So that, let's kind of switch gears here. Because mm-hmm. I, I don't want to go down um, a rabbit hole there. I, I'm more interested in that headline that I introduced at the beginning of the podcast. Because a lot of people are listening to this and they're curious about business strategy. And we're going to talk about ways people fail in business and what you could do specifically to avoid that. So let me ask you this. How can someone make sure that they have the right goals when they're starting a business? Yeah. So having the right goal is foundation to starting a business. So, you know, too often you see on the news and, you know, anywhere you're going, there's a lot of positive publicity that goes towards people that, you know, that they raise a lot of, you know, VC funding. And, you know, I I got my, you know, my app to a billion users and I had 50 rounds of funding and I raised $10 billion and all that. And really, a lot of people just try to emulate what they're hearing in the news in terms of what, you know, is uh, kind of the cool thing to do. Really, the the foundational concept is, you know, make sure that before you even start a business, you have the right goal. So for example, for me, my goal was never to build my business to a billion dollar company. Like if, if that happens, great, you know, that that's awesome. But my goal was freedom, you know, not having to answer to anybody. And that would give me the ultimate flexibility of doing what's right for my customer, uh, even if it doesn't align with what makes me the most, uh, you know, the most money. So if I went and said, you know what, all these people, it's the cool thing to do to raise money. And, and, and I went out and, you know, got seed funding or a series A or, you know, or whatever, now I have more money. Yes, I could probably grow the business uh, a lot more, but it doesn't achieve my goal of freedom. You know, once you take money from somebody, you're answering to them and, you know, you are no longer in control of what it is that you're doing. 
So, you know, it, it's very important to look at, you know, why are you starting the business and what do you hope to attain? Because you could be a hundred billion dollar business. And if, if I don't have the freedom that I was seeking in there, then, you know, even though I had a hundred billion dollar business, it, it really uh, isn't going to make me happy in the end. No, and, and that's such a great point. I mean, I, I talk to people all the time about entrepreneurship and, you know, people say, hey, yeah, I want to start a business because, you know, I, I want the freedom, like you're mentioning, I want the freedom to just do whatever I want. Or I, I think, um, you know, the, the world is plagued with this idea of like social media influencers or YouTubers, or this idea of like creating this media platform. And all of a sudden, you know, you're going to post a few videos, you're going to get millions of followers, mm-hmm. you're make <laughs> all this money. Right. Yep. And what's interesting about that is that the influencers that are out there, like on YouTube or, you know, on, on social media and they're putting out media in content, it's like, it takes so much effort behind the scenes to produce that. Mm-hmm. And I've talked to a lot of um, influencers and people that have media type of businesses and it's like all consuming. And so I think it, I agree with you. It's like, before you start a business, make sure you begin with the end in mind. I think there's this misnomer though, that entrepreneurship or starting a business, it's just like, oh, this is a great thing. I'm going to start it, you know, mm-hmm. work the four, do the four hour work week or whatever it is. <laughs> and all of a sudden I'm going to be successful. So maybe you could talk a little bit about that because, you know, you went off on your own and you took the plunge, right? You mm-hmm. left corporate America, you started Viliani Analytics. Uh, talk a little bit about that. Is Am I right? Am I off track? What are your thoughts on the effort and the grit that's required to make a business successful? No, I mean, you know, you're, you're, you're spot on. And, and I think one of the best quotes that, you know, that, that, that I heard, you know, I forgot exactly where it came from, but you know, when, when they talk about entrepreneurs, they say an entrepreneur is the only uh, type of person that'll work, you know, a hundred hours a week to avoid working 40 hours a week. And, you know, and that, that really is what it is, is that, you know, what, what a lot of people don't realize is they think, oh, you know, I'm, I'm doing my 40 hours a week for, uh, you know, for for somebody else, and you know, I'm making them a lot of money and all that. And you know, what they don't realize is that you're just a small, tiny piece of you know of a puzzle. And when you go out on your own and start your own business, you have to fill every piece of the puzzle. So you know, it doesn't matter if you were you know a coder, for example, or you know worked in uh, in a factory or or wherever. You know, ultimately, you know, you're doing your piece of of work. There's someone out there that's got to sell what it is that you're doing. There's somebody that's got to do the hiring for to make sure that the teams are staffed the way that they need. And, you know, once you get into the realm of, you know, okay, I'm starting my own business, what you don't realize is you've got, you are the one that's got to do all of that until you're able to build a team that can take on that that type of work. You know, so for me, I've got to do the consulting work that I do. I also have to go out and find business, which means that I've got to go get leads. I've got to go get on the phone with them and, and sell them and, and convert those leads into you know paid opportunities. Then I can do my work. I might only be working 40 hours a week, but you know when you add up the time for all the different activities that you have, uh, it's going to be you know a whole lot more than 40 hours a week. Yeah, I absolutely agree because you're wearing so many hats at the beginning mm-hmm. and you're just trying to get to that scale where you can start hiring people. And it's really this race to a million dollars in revenue is what I always tell people is like, you have to get to a million dollars in revenue because before then it's hard because you're doing all this stuff yourself and it's hard to hire people and start building out your staff. So it's kind of this awkward stage. 
Mm -hmm. Uh, What what do you think about that? And are there different uh, milestones uh, that that you look at when thinking about a business and, and starting a business? Yeah. And, and, you know, I think you're, you're spot on with the the million dollars in revenue, but, you know, even just to add to that, it's not even just a matter of being able to hit a million dollars. It's you have to have a predictable cash flow because once you start being responsible for, you know, paying salaries and, you know, that's other, there's a, a human being on the other end of that where, you know, they've got to feed their families and, you know, pay their rent and, you know, and all that is that, you know, you have to have a somewhat predictable cash flow in there, you know, where, you know, there are times for myself, for example, that there's some months that, you know, I've done $60,000, in a month, and there have been months that, you know, I've done zero in a month, and um, there are months that I've, you know, been between and, you know, and, and all that. And so for me, when I look at, you know, hey, where do I need to be for my first hire, it's not even just a matter of, you know, like being able to hit a million dollars or or a, a dollar amount. It's about being able to be so consistent that I know that I can pay this person for at least a year. Yeah. And, and that's such a great point because I agree you could scale to a million dollars, but if you don't have that cash flow, you know, your business isn't going to be sustainable and it's going to be hard to continue with that growth. I mean, you have a million dollars in revenue, a million dollars in expenses that does you no good. <laughs> so you're, you're absolutely right. So let, let's talk about what are the five avoidable reasons people fail at starting a B2B business? Yeah. So um, I think the first one we we hit on already about not having the right goal at, at the onset where, you know, it's very important to make sure that, you know, you have your goal and that your vision and everything that you do along the way aligns to those goals. And, you know, like I said earlier, if your goal is to be free and not answer to somebody else, you know, someone comes with an opportunity that says, hey, I'll give you $10 million for 1% of your business, as attractive as that seems, saying, hey, look, this is an absolutely great opportunity. Does it align to my goals? No. You know, should I should I do it? Uh, probably not. And so that that's the first one. The second thing is, I, I think, uh, you know, when we look at some of the most successful people out there, a lot of times we try to find like, what is that one moment that made that person who they are? You know, what is the one moment that made Steve Jobs, Steve Jobs, or Bill Gates, Bill Gates, or Zuckerberg, Zuckerberg, you know, and, and so forth. And, yeah. you know, I think what gets missed is that it's not that point in time that makes somebody successful in what they are. It's the habits that they build. You know, it's I say all the time, it's not the decision you made yesterday, the one that you make today or the one that you're going to make tomorrow. It's the ones that you choose to do every single day that are going to be the what makes you successful. Yeah. And I and I absolutely agree with that. I mean, it's the patterns, right? And and I think a lot of people out there too, when it comes to patterns and the the habits that you're talking about, it's like they they want a successful business, they want this or that, but their patterns don't match what their goals are. So I like how you started out. It's like before you start a business, make sure you understand what you're trying to go after. Because mm-hmm. maybe you want to start a business and you want to be out in five years. Well, that's going to completely change your strategy. Mm-hmm. Like if you're like, hey, I'm going to grow it five years. I'm going to flip it. I'm going to you know raise capital and mm-hmm. take the venture capital private equity route and just and flip it out to one of these buyers. Or if you're like, hey, this is my lifestyle business. I'm going to own this thing until I'm like 80 years old then yeah. that's going to change the strategy as well. But then, you know, once you have that goal and then you have that strategy in place, the patterns have to match that. So if mm-hmm. you're like, yeah, I want to grow this, you know, 
big enterprise or I, I want to do this or that, but then you know, you're sleeping until 10 o'clock in the morning and putting in a few hours and not following up with customers and not educating yourself, not using analytics within your business to understand, okay, is my strategy working? Is it not working? Do I need to make adjustments? And just having that overall financial intelligence to run a business successfully. Like if you, if you're not aligning your patterns, your skill sets, your capabilities, it's going to be really difficult to succeed. Yeah, exactly. And, and even like in my business, so I made an initiative this year, you know, I used to get my business by subcontracting through other consulting firms. This year, I said, you know what, I really want to flip the switch and, and start to get a lot of my own uh, customers, you know, for a variety of reasons. And so it aligns to, you know, to to my goals. And, you know, I, I started posting content on LinkedIn every single day, right? And, you know, you, you can look at a post or a couple posts and say, Oh wow, that was successful. It got thirty thousand views. This person replied, and that led to a, a sale. So that you know that made you successful. And it you know it's you can look at that one post, and and you know what happens is a lot of people look at that one post and they say, let me try to emulate the content of it. You know what he said or what he did or you know say the same thing in a similar way, and they do it, and it turns out that they don't get the same success that I got. And the reason it was successful wasn't because of that one post and what I said in that post. It was the commitment to say, I'm posting content every single day. I don't care if I feel like it. I don't care if I don't feel like it. I don't care if I have writer's block. I don't care you know, what it is. I'm going to post that content. And eventually, it's going to get to the right person at the right time. And it's going to lead to a sale. You know, But looking at just that one post in isolation you know, isn't going to teach anything to, you know, to anybody else. Sure. Because I, I think people can look at, you know, the Mark Zuckerbergs of the world or these other tech Titans and and think to themselves, okay, I'm going to build an app. I'm going to launch it on the mm -hmm. Apple app store and I'm going to make millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. And what they don't realize to your point is that, you know, Mark Zuckerberg, he was a nerd. He was in the computer lab when he was a teenager, like coding and doing all this stuff while yeah. his friends were out there playing in the street or, you know, go into the movies or whatever they you do as a teenager. So it's like, you don't see all those sacrifices that people put in, in that commitment. All you see is the the end result. And I think that could be a dangerous trap for people if they pursue that, that type of thinking. Yeah, exactly. So th let's talk about technology and analytics. So your business, mm -hmm. Viliani Analytics, you know, obviously you help companies take their data and to understand the story behind those analytics. So let me ask you this, how can technology and analytics help companies to roll out their strategies successfully and build competitive advantages. Yeah, it's a, it's a great point. So what what I find, you know, it, it, it's funny because you know, I mean, I've been in business, uh, you know, six or seven years now, but I've been doing you know these technology implementations for the last fifteen years. And what I found is that it doesn't matter the size of the company. What happens, you know, it, I, I've worked with small nonprofits. I'm, you know, working with one right now. I've, and I've worked with, uh, you know, Fortune 100 companies. And, you know, what happens is that more often than not, the day-to-day -day lives of the employees gets consumed by, you know, tasks that are, you know, things like, you know, for example, in the financial reporting space, you know, I'm working with an organization right now that they spend, you know, the majority of the month just building out their reports for the prior month. Right. And you say, all right, well, is the work getting done? Yes, the work's getting done. And that's, you know, kind of what people are judged on is, you know, am I able to complete the tasks that need to be completed in the time allotted? The answer to that is yes, right? But what you're missing is that 
because you're spending the majority of the month just formatting and, and building these reports, uh, now you don't have time to actually look at the data behind it and say, you know, how do we use this to, um, you know, our advantage of being able to grow our business and, uh, you know, maybe take on uh, new initiatives that, you know, that that may pay huge dividends for us in the future. Um, you can't look at things like that if you're spending all your time doing that. So what I do is, you know, I go into these organizations and I say, all right, let's look at what it is that you're doing. Is there the ability to, you know, maybe put in a financial system that will take on those tasks that you're doing manually? And in doing so, now that frees you up so that instead of, you know, your goal for the month being create 20, you know, pretty PowerPoint uh, reports over here to, to show to the board, those are automatically being created. And you can spend that time actually looking and trying to find, you know, what is this data telling me? How are we actually doing? And how can we use this information that we have to go and do better next month or next quarter or next year or, you know, a combination of all three? Yeah, exactly. And, and you're so spot on. That's why I'm so excited to have you on the show, because I've been going around the country talking about strategic financial leadership, this whole idea mm -hmm. of how do you transform FinOps and more specifically, the financial leaders running this function so that they free up their time and they're doing less compliance and transactional type of work. And instead they're focusing on forecasting and strategy types of activities, right? Mm -hmm. And and that I, I think that extends far beyond just FinOps. You know, it could be marketing, business development, sales, legal, whatever function it is of the business. But I think to that point exactly, you know, I, I think so many people in the world of business are just caught up in these tasks. And a lot of them, they don't, they don't even know what they're doing. And what I mean by that, not that they lack competency, mm -hmm. but instead there's these legacy systems where, you know, they'll fill out a form, they'll populate a report, whatever it is. And if you ask them, you say, why do you do this? I don't know. Like we've, that's just what we've done for the last five years. We do this mm -hmm. weekly report. You know, I have to turn in my numbers. I have to fill out the spreadsheet. You know, I populate these KPIs, whatever it is, and we do it over and over again. But like when you get into the meat of the business and you ask people, you say, okay, let, let's take, you know, PL leaders, for example, they get a financial reporting package every month. But if you ask them and you said, okay, what do you look at when you receive this report? What are you looking at exactly? And then how are you going out into the field and making decisions? to drive more value. And a lot of times you'll realize some of the financial leaders or the business unit leaders or these managers, they're not even looking at the reports that are being created and so much time is being wasted on these things. They're, they're not even looking at them or they're not even leveraging them or they're using like, okay, this line item on this report or on page five, mm -hmm. I really like this graph. This helps me understand my labor costs and it helps me with scheduling or whatever it may be. And it's understanding that like what is actually driving value in informing leadership and then eliminating everything else. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, it, it's funny because I, you know, I chuckled to myself as you were, you know, uh, using the phrase, that's the way it's always been done because I hear that so many times. And not only do I hear that so many times, I walk into situations where someone says, Hey, I want you to replicate this report. And it's like called like the Bob report. And I'm like, what is this Bob report? Oh, this is the report that uh, Bob always wanted to look at said, okay, uh, can I speak to Bob? Can I to understand 
you know, why it is that it's, you know, put in this way. Oh, well, Bob doesn't work here anymore. It's like, okay, well, you know, you guys spend every single week going and putting together this report that somebody wanted you to put together that no longer works here. And the only reason why you're doing it is because that person asked for it five years ago, you know, when they when they were here. And so, you know, it's it's important to not only, you know, invest in, you know, your infrastructure to go out and, you know, automate whatever reports you can automate, but to continuously look at what is it that I have? What am I using to drive my decisions and to measure the success of my business? And does this still make sense? And, you know, so many organizations, you know, have the same technology platform they had 20 years ago, doing things the exact same way that they did 20 years ago. Uh, and, and, you know, and they're wondering why it is that their business is kind of stagnated and uh, isn't, isn't growing at the rate that they want it to grow. Yeah, absolutely. So when it comes to collecting this data, okay, there, mm-hmm. there's so many things you could collect data on, right? Mm-hmm. Customers and sales and product information and demographic. I mean, there's just, there's an endless amount of data that you could collect. And now it's easier than ever to get this data are there common mistakes that you see in these companies when they're trying to be more analytically driven? Like, are they collecting the wrong information? Do they have the wrong infrastructure? Are they doing weird things with the data where it's not useful or it can't be extrapolated or, you know, analyzed in an efficient manner? What what types of things do you see, mistakes, and what are some best practices that can help the listeners to be better with their data capture and data usage? Yeah, that, that, that's a great question because, you know, more often than not, one of the biggest issues I see is that organizations trust their user inputs. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, they, they put together a CRM system and says, hey, who's your vendor? Who's your customer? Who's whatever? And they make these all freeform text fields. And you've got sales rep A that types in uh, Coke as their uh, as their vendor then the next uh, the next sales rep types in coca-cola as the vendor the next one types in the coca-cola company and 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 you end up having three records for the the same exact company um because there was no real checks built in on the input to prevent you from you know going in and uh you know making sure that you only have one, uh, you know, one version of the truth, uh, you know, is is what they uh, often say. But we we see that all the time, where you know there's capabilities to validate data on input. Maybe it's a procedure thing where you tell your salespeople like, hey, we should, you know, before we go in and sell uh, to a customer, you should check to make sure that the customer already exists in the system. Well, they don't have time. They go and they just enter it in as a new new person because, you know, hey, it doesn't affect me. So then, you know, what ends up happening is the process of bringing data, you know, from like your CRM system to a financial planning system should be very easy and straightforward. But it turns out that it's not because you've got all sorts of things like this that, you know, that happen where, you know, the data isn't, you know, necessarily accurate or um unique where you know where it needs to be and then you know you have all these tools out there that you know that do uh you know etl or extract transform load that do data profiling and quality and you know you end up having to put in layers of systems just to go and move one number or a few numbers across from one system to another so you know while it's easier than ever to stand up all the infrastructure you need to you know get a crm system if you don't know how to set up servers and all that kind of stuff 
you know, it, it's harder than ever to take the data from from one system and consolidate it all into, you know, into your financial system. And that makes perfect sense. So let me ask you this. Does it make, I mean, is it reasonable for companies to have like a, a data cop? Is that what you need? Like who who's going to do that? Because I, I understand and I know exactly what you're talking about regarding data entry, but who who's like the best person to scrub the data, manage the data, police the data? Is that somebody internally? Is that externally? Or are there other ways you can constrain the data or put controls around these inputs so you don't get this giant mess? Yeah. So the biggest driver of that is that, you know, or uh, most organizations, I don't want to speak for everyone because there are some, you know, some really, really good ones out there, but a lot of organizations suffer from the we just need this done. We need it done on time, on budget, and to do at least somewhat what we've set out to do. And so, what ends up happening is uh, there are a lot of shortcuts that get get taken with these uh, with these systems. Uh, companies that say, "Hey, we're going to run over budget unless we cut out the documentation of our system." And they say, "Oh, well, we don't need the documentation. We know how it works." And you know, you know how it works now. But you know, after your administrator quits and and you have to get somebody else nobody's going to know how the system works. So you get things that get cut like that, where it's, oh, well, you know, it's going to take two weeks to build in a validation to make sure that someone doesn't type in Coke or Coca-Cola or whatever. Let's just have the salesperson uh, do a manual check, right? And the organizations that, you know, take the proactive step and do it right are the ones that say, hey, look, let's have uh, an independent data governance uh, uh, group where, you know, their mandate is to make sure that, uh, we have quality data, that we have consistency, that we have processes in place to make sure that, you know, we're checking data, you know, at at, at every turn. Um, you know, I can't tell you how many times that, you know, we move a file from one system to another and there aren't even any checks or anything that's put in place where we have to prove out that, hey, all the data made it over in the format that we needed. You know, they're relying on the end users of the end systems to check and say, oh, my my balance sheet doesn't balance. So something must have gone wrong in the process where, you know, if if you had taken the time, you know, you could have built out an automated check to to make sure that, you know, hey, don't release this data unless you've proven out that it's accurate, it's complete, uh, and that there, there are no issues with it whatsoever. That makes sense. Now, are there tools... Uh, that companies can use to get started when it comes to like data analytics, visualization, other things like that. I know there's like Microsoft like, mm-hmm. uh, BI, there's, you know, you could just do Excel. What what types of tools can somebody use just to begin? Let's just talk about the simple ones and then we sure. can progress from there. Yeah. And, and, and when you're looking for, you know, how do I gather data and, and analytics from, from the, from the data that I have, um, you know, it's important to understand who is the target audience of this. So the, the reason why I bring this up is because a lot of companies say, hey, look, we're going to implement Tableau or Power BI to do these dashboarding because dashboarding is the, you know, the the, the sexy term, uh, you know, that's out there and everyone wants to say they have da- dashboards and no one wants to admit that they don't have them. You know, but really the the dashboards really are for executive level views of, you know, KPIs and, you know, more simpler types of things versus, you know, more in-depth reports that might come out of uh, like an enterprise performance management system for, you know, consolidating your your actual data versus your budgets and forecasts and doing variance analysis, things like that. So there are different systems for depending on what your ultimate goal is. 
you know, for somebody that's looking to do, you know, AI and machine learning on on the data to see, you know, hey, what patterns can we find? Uh, you might use tools like like R, you know, to or Python to go in and you know and, and really do more in depth analysis on the data. I, mean, I pri- primarily work with uh, three different software suites: uh, Oracle, uh, Workiva, and and Microsoft in order to you know help my customers. But you know, they're they're a whole bunch. There's you know commercial solutions. There's open source solutions for those that don't have you know the budgets to you know to go and uh, drop a lot of money on 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 these uh these SaaS solutions. Okay, so let, let's break it down for somebody who's listening to this podcast and maybe they just started a business or more maybe they're in the early stages of their business and it's not like they have a ton of capital at this point. Mm-hmm. And they're sitting here and they're they're listening to us and they're thinking, "Yeah, you're right. I need to have a better feel from like an analytical standpoint on my business." It's like mm-hmm. flying a plane, right? Imagine yeah. flying a plane without that instrument panel. And I know that's so cliche, but it's mm-hmm. the best example that I could give. I mean, you're flying a plane. It's not like the pilot's like running up and down the aisle, looking out the window and, okay, is our, you know, did our wing, you know, adjust when I, okay, yeah. Okay. Our wings. Uh, okay. It's the landing gear down. Hey, could somebody <laughs> um, look out there and see if our wheels are down? I mean, that'd be a crazy way to fly a plane. But so many organizations do that kind of stuff and they just wing it or they rely on their gut or whatever it may be, or just sheer heroics to run their business. So they may be listening to this right now. They're like, okay, yes, Daniel, Steve, I get it. I need to have more Mm -hmm. analytics, but dang, it sounds like so complicated or so expensive. And what would you say to them? And how can somebody get started just from like the most basic level of business? Yeah, I mean, and, and and I really love your plane analogy because you know it, it's it's funny because those instruments enable the planes to be bigger and do more than what you know what they did without the instruments. You know, can you fly a plane without instruments? You absolutely can, right? The the Wright brothers, uh, you know, went and did it, and they didn't have all you know all fancy equipment that that did it. But when you look at the size of their plane, it was a one person plane where you know they were gliding around, and that's all they were able to do. Right now that you have all sorts of sensors and instruments on the plane, now you can have these, you know, big 747s and, you know, transporting hundreds of people, double decker planes, you know, all that kind of stuff because you have those tools. And analytics is the exact same thing where if you're a one man shop, should you go and, you know, buy a Tableau or Power BI or, or whatever? Probably not, right? You probably don't need to do that level of analysis because your business isn't that complex at that point. Once you start to scale, that's where you want to, you know, ask yourself the question of what analysis am I doing? How much time am I spending it? If you find that your finance person is spending their entire day creating Excel reports, then maybe you want to put in a system that automates those Excel reports that they're putting in. But if the person's spending a half hour a day doing it and spending the rest of the time um, going and saying, hey, I'm finding that, you know, we have a new revenue stream if we do X instead of Y, then, you know, Excel reporting is probably okay for what it is that you're doing right now. So you just want to make sure that you're aligning your capabilities to where you are as a business. Absolutely. That makes sense. That makes perfect sense. And sometimes you just have to do like a, a cost benefit analysis because there are some points 
in your business where things may be manual and kind of clunky. And that's just what you do until you get to a certain point or a certain level. Do you agree with that? Or do you feel like, no, people should come right out of the gate and be more sophisticated than that? Well, I I think it's a balancing act of a lot of different things. Like, you know, ideally, like if you were to best position yourself out there, you'd have every single system you possibly need from day one, right? But when you look at the cost of these different systems, you know, like, like, an Oracle system, for example, it's going to start at around twenty, thirty thousand dollars a year as your subscription. You're going, if you're making a hundred k a year uh, today, you know, do you really want to be subscribed to a thirty thousand dollar a year subscription so that way you can automate your forecasting and budgeting? You know, it probably doesn't make sense because at that level, you're a one man shop that even if you don't forecast and budget at all, it, it's probably not going to kill you, right? But if you're a a $20, $30 million organization, and you've got 10 finance people on staff, and those 10 people are spending 10 to 15 days a month just building out the reports for the last month, do you want to spend 20, 30K a year to you know now make all of those people 10 times more productive? It, then it absolutely makes sense. So you know, there, there unfortunately isn't a like, hey, when you get to X in revenue, you should put this in place or that in place. You know, the only thing I will say around that is like, if you start taking like VC money and, and, and all of that, a lot of these guys are going to expect that, you know, you have these reporting systems. So that way, you know, they're not just trusting, uh, you know, the founder to put together a uh, an income statement on a napkin and hand it to them and say, trust me, these are our numbers. You know, they're, they're going to want uh, a little bit more uh, trustworthy solution in place. But, you know, if you have full autonomy, you know, you want to make sure that, you know, when it makes sense and, and when your business can afford and get an ROI from each of these tools, that, that that's what you're doing. Yeah, I absolutely agree. You know, the frustrating thing for me when it comes to like financial systems specifically mm-hmm. is, you know, there there's sophisticated systems and big companies use them. But I just feel like they're they're still so clunky. I, I think the earlier ERPs were created by these engineers instead mm-hmm. of people that were actually using the numbers. And so I'm I'm always surprised and a little bit disappointed on like how they've evolved. And more specifically, like for example, if I go into a reporting system and I want to see all my numbers on a trailing 12-month basis. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's like I just want to. Sure, I could pull a report, a trailing 12 report. But if I say, hey, I want each column to be in trailing 12 month format, so many of the systems can't do it. You know, mm-hmm. you, you have like the, the basic systems like a zero or QuickBooks, if you're starting out as a small business, or even some of the Oracle r- reports, you know, that, that I've worked through, mm-hmm. it doesn't allow you to see the data in the way that you need to see the data. Because if you're looking at data month over month, you're not seeing any trends. It's like mm-hmm. revenue's up, it's down, it's up, down, up, up, down, 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 up, up, down, yeah. you know? And until you put it into a usable format, like a trailing 12, you're not going to be able to understand the story behind the numbers. And so I just think like the the reporting systems, the forecasting systems, they're so rigid, I guess, mm-hmm. that it requires this further manipulation where you're extracting the data and you're doing stuff in Excel and then that's how you're you're using the data. Correct me if I'm wrong, but how do you see things when it relates to what I'm talking about with financial reporting and forecasting? Yeah, I think the 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 thing that frustrates a lot of 
organizations. Um, and I think the reason why a lot of them don't realize that certain capabilities exist is because like, there is no like one product that does everything that you need. Like it would be amazing if, you know, if there was, but what happens is, you know, these ERP systems, the only thing they care about is, um, you know, from a vendor uh, standpoint is, can my customer enter their, you know, their debits and credits and, you know, do all of their accounting functions inside my ERP? So you'll find that ERP systems are really, really bad at reporting where, you know, more often than not, like you can't get key information that you need out of the ERP. And, you know, for smaller businesses that can't afford to buy, you know, five different products to get them everything they need they're reliant on the ERP to do it. And, and it just doesn't do it. You know, when you start getting into an EPM system, like a, an Oracle uh, EPM cloud or like OneStream or, you know, Microsoft has SSAS, you know, you can do things like that trailing 12 report. You know, is it perfect? And is it, you know, as intuitive as you want? Like, no, it, it takes it takes setup. What what happens is these or, these companies build these systems where, you know, they want to be as flexible as possible so they don't put in certain functions that might be very useful to you, but you know they're trying to figure out what's useful to 50% of our customer base or 60% of our customer base or, or whatever it is. And so a lot of it ends up having to be a customization. And so now you need these systems implemented and it's not just a matter of, okay, budget the $30,000 a year for your subscription but you're budgeting $30,000 a year for the subscription and you're budgeting, you know, hundred to $200,000 for a consultant to come in and configure it to what it is that you need. So now, you know, if you, even if you are like a million dollar a year business, you think, oh man, I'm making a million dollars. This is great. You know, so much money gets tied up in putting in the systems that, that you need to put in, uh, you know, on top of what it actually just costs to, to keep it. Yeah, I agree. And then complexity begets complexity. And then next thing you know, you're back to the game of just doing compliance and transactional work. You're just trying mm -hmm. to like maintain the system and, and so much time is, is wasted there. So let's talk about measuring what matters because when it comes to analytics, and I, I alluded to this earlier, you can collect all this data. You can start tracking all these things. You could have a million KPIs, mm -hmm. but at the end of the day, all this tracking, all this analysis doesn't lead to performance improvement. And really that's the way I see it in my simplistic mind is a business creates a strategy that helps them to understand where they're going to compete, how they're going to compete and how they're going to win. And then they go execute on that strategy. They use a financial report, like an mm -hmm. income statement, balance sheet statement of cash flows, or they use some other type of reporting mechanism to measure okay, how is our strategy working? You know, we say, hey, we want to go after this customer segment in this geography and we want to grow our sales or provide a great experience for our customer, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And they have to have a way to measure that. They measure that financially or through some other reporting mechanism. And then they use that reporting to go make adjustments. And then it's just this build, measure, learn, build, measure, mm -hmm. learn. And I think that's what makes companies really adaptable and allows them to endure for the long term. But what sure. happens, I think, in the process is, you know, you add this metric and this KPI and this report, and hey, I need to see more detail on this. And next thing you know, it's like you lose track of what the heck you're even doing. The strategy yeah. falters, execution, you know, wanes, and and then 
there's this massive confusion and distraction and then businesses lose their way. What are, what are your thoughts on that? And how can companies focus on measuring what really matters? As it, as it comes down to it, really where you need to focus is what are the key metrics that are going to allow you to track expansion, how you're doing, uh, you know, from a, a dollar and cents perspective, but also their, you know, non-monetary, you know, KPIs as well that, that you can look at. And, you know, what, what's important is to make sure that, uh, you know, it's important to have the KPIs, but it's also important to be consistent with them where, you know, you have 10 different uh, entities that, that fall underneath your, your company and you want to make sure that if they're reporting on it, that they're reporting on it the same way. Um, I was just helping a, an organization last year. Um, you know, they were uh, a steel mill and, and they have 50 different steel mills and each steel mill uh, has a different definition of what their yield percent calculation is. And, and you say, all right, someone is calculating it as, you know, X divided by Y and that comes out to 75 percent. The other person's measuring it as the inverse of that, which is 25%. And, you know, how, how do you see in totality, you know, how the business is doing? So, you know, my recommendation is always the ultimate goal that you want to be looking at is things like your revenue, your expenses, and what are the drivers of, of those, right? Because uh, I think you mentioned it before, you know, you could have a million dollars in revenue, but $2 million in expenses. And, you know, you're not doing so great versus, you know, having, uh, you know, a hundred thousand in revenue and nothing in expenses, you know, you're doing a, a hell of a lot better than, than the one with the million in revenue. So you want to make sure that you're tracking consistently, you know, what is driving your revenue, what is driving your expenses, and then what are the drivers of those components? Um, and you want to make sure that you're periodically reviewing these as well. So you don't run into that situation of, I've got Bob's report with Bob's KPIs and guess what? Bob's no longer here. And there's someone else that's here. That's, you know, a, a lot smarter than Bob and they have their own uh, KPIs that they're looking at. How do we make sure that we've got that integrated into, you know, show us our, our the snapshot of how our company's actually doing. Yeah, I agree. I love that. And I love all this. This, this has been great. Let me switch gears. I want to ask you mm -hmm. a personal question before we wrap up. Yeah. So you're going on, you're, you're going through life, you know, you have your career, you've tried things, you've probably been successful at a lot of things, but you've probably failed at some things as well, or mm -hmm. maybe you are focusing on one area. It's not creating any results or the results that you want. And, you know, I've been there, I've done that in my life mm -hmm. where, you know, I'm, I'm working a ton of hours and I step back. I'm like, what the heck am I doing? I'm not even creating the results that I want. I'm not making an impact, mm -hmm. but for you, was there a certain point in your career where you had like an aha moment where you're like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? Or I need to pivot or I need to focus on this. Or you changed your ways, your mindset, your habits, whatever it is. But was there a turning point in your career that allowed you to be successful? Yeah. I mean, the the way that I kind of describe it is, um, you know, if you want to be successful, you have to be willing to pivot. You have to be willing to make adjustments and you have to be willing to you know stand your ground even when things aren't working and, and you really believe in what you're doing and you know really it's it's been a combination of of those things that you know that have made me successful you know like how i got into learning you know i taught myself how to uh, how to code and i taught myself how to code because uh, back when i was in college i was addicted to these uh these uh video games online that were all built on adobe flash technology which you know uh 
<laughs> I'm probably dating myself to, to some of your viewers over here, but you know, it no longer, no longer exists. And I said, you know what, I'm going to be this video game developer. I'm going to build these games. Uh, I'm going to make all this money off of ads and all that. And it's going to be great. And, you know, I spent, you know, months going and teaching myself how to, you know, program and, you know, and, and all that. And, you know, in the end, I think, uh, I think I ended up making like a hundred dollars in ads, but there was a threshold of like, $500 before you could cash out. So I like never actually made a dime from, you know, from doing it. And you say, well, you know, where, where did you fail? Like, no, I, I didn't fail because the foundational concepts of coding, whether it's, you know, building these flash games or building, you know, any of the uh, enterprise software that I build now, you know, I, now I have, I have two patents on uh, technology that automates documentation and testing of enterprise systems. And, you know, and the reason I was able to build those out was because of, you know, I, I taught myself how to code and I quickly realized that even though, you know, flash games wasn't my uh, ticket to success, you know, there were a lot of transferable skills in there. So you only fail if you don't learn anything from, you know, from the experience. And, you know, it doesn't doesn't matter what people tell you, whether you're going to be, you know, successful or not, like you just have to have uh, you know, the feeling of, you know, this is the right thing to do for for myself and, you know, go go all in on it. You know, I was interning at a at a company and uh, I had this is when I had my interview uh, at, at Peloton and, um, you know, Peloton at the time, they only had offices in Boston and Chicago and they said, come up to Boston and, and interview. So, you know, I booked a train ticket to go there. I told my boss, hey, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to Boston to interview on Friday you know, they told me, uh, oh, uh, you know, I, I hope uh, I hope your train breaks down and you miss the interview and you end up having to work here for the rest of your life. <laughs> so I, I book my train ticket. I get on the train. I'm going through a tunnel and all the lights go out on the on the train and it starts coming to a, a slow and, and, and you know, complete stop. And, you know, uh, they lost power to the engine. Uh, I missed my interview. You know, it took me seven hours to get up to Boston. And, uh, you know, there's a guy on the train that was just like, hey, like, like, are you going to stay on this? Like the, the engine broke down and they had to replace it and all this. Like, why don't you get off at the next stop and, you know, just take the train home and, you know, and, and call it a day over there. So, well, I want the job and this is the this is the right role for me at, at the time. So I said, if it takes me 20 hours to get to Boston, I'll, I'll stay on this train for the next 20 hours. And, you know, I ended up getting the job and, uh, you know, and going back to the like, hey, like, it's not the fact that, hey, like I stayed on that train that that made me successful in getting that job. It was the fact that I said, you know what, I'm going to take every single opportunity that I have to 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 go and pursue the right thing in my, you know, in my career. No, I love that. And I I love that, you know, that visualization. I get to see you on the train like, son of a, you know, like, mm -hmm. I cannot believe this. Oh yeah, the fire department came on board. You know, they it, it was it was a whole big you know big thing, and and you know it, it's easy at the time to say, hey, look, I'm just gonna get off at the next stop and and, and quit on this. But you know, you quit on this. Uh, you know, no, nobody nobody ever gave the job to the person who who gave up, right? They gave the job to the person that said, hey, this happened. I'm still interested. I want to do this. You know, and we we figured it out. Yeah, talk about being jinxed there, but yeah, and, and I agree. I mean. And I, I think that's great advice for the listeners too, because there have been times in my life where I've spent countless hours pursuing a project or starting a business and then it didn't work. And I'm like, what the heck? You know, like I thought this was a great idea. You know, I had all my ducks in a row. Why didn't it work out? And then, you know, I played the victim role for a little bit and sold mm -hmm. my sorrow. And then finally I picked myself up, 
And then later on, I'll look back on that thing, that project, that skill set, whatever it was. And I'm like, oh my gosh, now it makes sense. <laughs> now it makes sense why I spent a thousand hours learning how to build out these models or code mm-hmm. or whatever it is, because now it transfers, like you said, it's transferable to the new opportunity that's right in front of my face. So I, I think that's a really good and important lesson is number one, like the things that we're learning. And when we put ourselves out there and we pursue new things and try new things, even if we fail, a lot of those experiences are transferable, if not all of them. And then also just like not giving up when things get tough and you know you want to quit or you're not seeing the results right away after doing that first LinkedIn post, like we talked about at the beginning. Mm-hmm. You just have that grit and that perseverance to see things through. And I, I think that's great advice for those who are listening because business is tough. It's a grind, but it's yeah, also and, so and rewarding, you know? Yeah. And if I could just say this, this one other thing too, it's, you know, at, there's also this mentality of like, Hey, I'm just going to like power through and, you know, it may not work the first time it might work the hundredth time. And, you know, it's important to make sure that as you go through and as you iterate, you're not making the same mistake over and over again. Like, you know, they say definition of insanity is trying the same thing over and over and expecting different results, but, you know, making sure that you make those tweaks and that you're asking the right questions. Cause you know, when I was going for my patents, the first one I went for, I just kept getting denied and kept getting denied and kept getting denied for the same exact reason. And I'm trying to know what this is different because of this and, and this, and they just kept denying it for the same reason. And, you know, my my own lawyer came up to me and was like, this isn't winnable. Like, you should just give up on this, you know, because they just keep coming back with with the same stuff over and over again. Part of me was like, no, I'm just going to keep continuing and, and, and trying this again. You know, and then the other part of me looked at it and said, well, if this isn't working, what is it that isn't working about it? And the conversation that I had with him at the time, I said, look, I'm sure I'm not the only person out there that put together this uh, a patent that got rejected and it gets rejected over and over again. I'm sure a million companies and people hit this all the time. So when they hit it, the people that don't give up and that are ultimately successful, like how how do they get to that point of being successful? That yeah. oh well, you know they narrow down their claims uh, to a point where it gets to something that gets accepted, and then later on they try to expand the scope. I said, okay, why can't we do that? And he's like, well, we can try. So we tried it. And the very next time I, the patent got accepted. Right. And and it's it's a matter of had I kept just saying, no, I'm going to persevere and I'm just going to I'm going to fight the system and, and all of this. I mean, I may still be might still be fighting for that that first patent today if, you know, if I kept doing the same exact thing. And all that will have happened is, you know, I will run out of tens of thousands of dollars, uh, you know, in, in the fight and I still may not have gotten it. So it's important to recognize you know, hey, look, I need to ask the right questions. If something isn't working, I just need to take a step back and say, okay, how do I get this to work? Yeah, that's a great addition. I love that point. And, that, and that's that's super smart because yeah, otherwise you're going to be banging your head against the wall and not making the progress you want to make. So mm-hmm. we're out of time, Daniel, but yeah, this has been a, a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for being on the show and yeah, sharing you so your knowledge as it relates to analytics and just the bigger picture of an organization, how you could use analytics to drive a better strategy and to get the results that you want. So it's been a great conversation. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate uh, you know the time and you know being able to have the conversation with you. Absolutely. And for you listeners out there, thanks again for tuning in. And until next time, take care of yourself. 
Hey, real quick, I hope you enjoyed the show. If you have business questions and you want to be featured on this podcast, send me an email at contact at cultivar.com and either type out your question or send a video or voice recording stating your name, your location, and what's on your mind. If you want to increase your financial intelligence, be sure to check out my other podcast called Boosting Your Financial IQ. All right, you have new knowledge. Go out there and execute. And until next time, cheers. Hey, real quick, I hope you enjoyed the show. If you have business questions and you want to be featured on this podcast, send me an email at contact at cultivar.com and either type out your question or send a video or voice recording stating your name, your location, and what's on your mind. If you want to increase your financial intelligence, be sure to check out my other podcast called Boosting Your Financial IQ. All right, you have new knowledge. Go out there and execute. And until next time, cheers. Cheers.